right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, I am so excited. We are finally, after many delays and I honestly, questions of whether it would even come out because like kind of what was the point at this point, but we're talking Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom I'm realizing as I uh, record this intro, I think I called it Aquaman and the Lost City like six times during the conversation, but whatever. It it doesn't really matter. It's out. It's here. I'm one of these giant Aquaman fans, if you didn't know that. Uh, I think the first movie from James Wan starring Jason Momoa is so much fun, just so ridiculous and so over the top. So I had high hopes for this. And well, it's not quite as good as the first one. I, for the most part, had a great time with this sequel. Joining me to talk about it is Sean Malloy from I Must Break This Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the work of Dolph Lundgren. So he was a great pick to have here on this episode, since, of course, Dolph Lundgren is in these Aquaman movies. A great addition to the cast, I might say. Uh, But we got a great conversation coming up, lots of great puzzle pieces to get into, and we'll talk a little bit about the DCEU while we're at it. Uh, Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod, and don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. Uh, Aside from that, we do have a Patreon, where this episode will be going up immediately, as soon as I export it and everything uh and then it'll eventually make its way to the main feed where you might be hearing this now uh sometime in the near future but you could always get these episodes immediately as soon as i finish them on the patreon as well as a bunch of other bonus and advanced content from piecing it together awesome movie year and my music career so check that out it's patreon.com slash by david rosen i really appreciate you all just being out there listening but if you want to support the show that way I, of course, appreciate that as well, with tiers starting at $3 for the bonus content. So that is out there, and now it's time to talk Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. All right, we've got Sean Malloy back with us. We are going to talk about Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, a movie that I have been waiting for for a long time as one of the People out there who appreciates the ridiculousness of what James Wan brought to this series. But, Sean, first of all, uh, it's early morning that we're recording this. Do you have yourself a nice little cockroach sandwich to uh, to enjoy to wake up today? I just have a caffeinated beverage, unfortunately. But... Um... But yeah, I, I I think that should uh, that should do the job. But yeah, cockroach sandwich, man, wasn't that hilarious? You know, right. so. <laughs> that has to have been done like a thousand times before. But I was just like, Patrick Wilson sells it, yeah. so you know, yeah, it's all good. Were you a big fan of the first Aquaman? Mm. I mean, obviously your boy Dolph Lundgren was in it, so there's you know that connection and everything. But did were you on the wavelength of the ridiculousness that this you know this particular kind of superhero movie was trying to bring? Oh yeah, I mean if you go back 2018, Christmas of 2018, I was so stoked and psyched for the first Aquaman, and I think there are a number of reasons. Um, first of all. I mean, the, the character of Aquaman, I mean, if you go back, and I, I remember reading comics back in the comic collecting heyday when I was a little kid, back in the early 90s, and Aquaman was always kind of that that dopey, kind of dorky superhero that always kind of got, 
Oh, he always kind of got laughed at. I mean, if you look at clips on Family Guy and on Big Bang Theory, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? He's not the the flashiest superhero. So what was really cool about the one about the first movie that came out in 2018 was how that really made the character seem cool. You know what I mean? I mean, casting Jason Momoa really kind of added that rock and roll element to him. Mm-hmm. The fact that uh, that Dolph Lundgren was going to be playing King Nereus in in the first one, even though it was a, a small supporting role, it was coming off the heels of Creed Two. That was pretty exciting. And at the time, it was really kind of cool because it's not like it's not like we were in a uh, a low abundance of superhero movies in 2018 by any means. Sure. Okay. But what was cool about the first one is that it seemed to add something new it seemed to add something uh a new and and fresh to the um overcrowded superhero genre and so yeah when it came out i was stoked um i loved the first one okay um even though it's cgi city <laughs> you know what i mean I, I don't think i don't think a single set was built for any of these movies it was oh, yeah. all done in front of a green screen but i was i was really uh, stoked for the first one and it delivered um with the second one, I mean, I think there's a lot of factors that kind of come into play for why um, reception to the new one has been a little lukewarm. I think the fact that they waited five years to release the new one, I think, was a little bit too long of, of a gap. But then again, we had a, a pesky pandemic and writer strike and everything like that that kind of delayed the, the release of this mm-hmm. one. But it certainly didn't help. But yeah, long roundabout answer. Loved the first one. Um, and so... I, I was pretty welcoming to a uh, to a sequel. I mean, it made sense. Well, awesome. I, I'm glad that you uh, are coming to this from the same kind of, uh, you know, headspace that I was. Because, yeah, I just had so much fun with the first one. It, it's it's so ridiculous, but, like, it's fun. It's mm-hmm. like the, a lot of these superhero movies are either too goofy or they're too grimdark. And I felt like, you know, James Wan and Jason Momoa and Patrick Wilson, like, I felt like these guys like got a specific tone and that's what I loved so much about it. It's such a a work of vision of like, this is what we want to do. And, you know, it might be out there, it might be crazy, but it's a very specific thing. And like you said, there's not, there wasn't really anything else quite like it. And there still really isn't. I I don't feel like anybody kind of has the balls to like go this crazy with their superhero movies. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm really happy that the second one kind of delivered, uh, not as good as the first, but it, it, it's, you know, like you said, it's had a bit of a messy, uh, you know, path to release. And so at least we got something and it's still actually delivered on what, you know, those of us who liked the first one liked about it. But, you know, with that said, let's start getting into some puzzle pieces and we'll talk more about what works and what doesn't work along the way. What do you have for your first piece? Well, you know, and I I, I hate bringing up a political commentator for one of these, but I mean, (laughs) there's really no denying uh, that what he stated a few years ago is true. But um, on on Bill Maher's um, politically incorrect uh, uh, talk show that that uh, that he does. He got a lot of um, a lot of heat because he threw shade at uh, people who were um, expressing uh, emotion at uh, intense emotion, I used to say, at the passing of Stan Lee. And so, um, and, and and I'm not I'm not condoning what he said or anything like that. But I mean, he did he did bring up a really good point about these superhero movies. Is he said in so many terms. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna mince his words, but he he basically said all these movies are is about um the good guys and the bad guys after a magic glowy thing, and if you really if you really break down all of these movies, 
that that's basically what what's going on okay if you looked at black adam they're after a a glowy like um what was it a crown or something like that yeah i, I mean so, yeah all, all those like marvel that. movies there's oh they're always after you know something that is glowy and then if you look at this one it's following that same mo that same thing they're they're after this um this this glowing green evil trident okay and so and it's one of those things where i mean look bill maurer is 100 percent in the right by making that statement and so anybody who is um tired of these particular films it's not aquaman's fault okay it's the fact that we've been getting so many we've been getting too many superhero movies within the past couple years that they're all following the same blueprint they're all following the same thing and i mean i mean look look if you look at that guardians 3 movie that one kind of came and went it got some fanfare but it seemed like some people liked it but i mean that one's been forgotten ant-man quantumania that one kind of came and went you know what i mean um then there was uh if you look at dc there was the the, the shazam too you know what i mean these movies are coming and going so quickly because there's not mm-hmm. enough time for audiences to kind of take a breath and kind of take in what it was that we saw and i mean I mean, that's with anything. When you put out content after content, especially if it's the same, then again, you're going to, I've been saying this on my show and I've said it before, but you're going to saturate the market. You're going to um, t- tune fans off of the product that they that they love and that they want, or at least that, that, that they thought they wanted. And so then that's why we're currently, we're in the current state that we are. I think we're kind of starting to see the bubble burst on these superhero movies and we may not be seeing as as many anymore, which kills me as as a fan of this genre as that I once was but even I just have gotten just so burnt out of it yeah yeah it, this year and and we're going to continue to see all these like think pieces on like what exactly is going wrong because obviously these movies have been you know the main box office draw of the last like 15 years and this year it's just not really working out too well um and I I think you're right I think I think it's you know it's oversaturation is you know problem number 1 and I guess we could call this puzzle piece all those superhero movies with the glowy things, because um, mm-hmm. you know, there's certainly a lot of them. You can make a, a, a big ass list of them. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something that's just been done to death. And yeah, we're we're seeing this year is going to be either course correction time, uh, you know, going into 2024, or they're going to drive it into the ground. And I do not know exactly what to expect, but. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if these giant companies who have controlled the entire business for so long can kind of get it back or if it's going to continue going downhill. Speaking of, uh, you know, glowy things to collect, I mean, I do have some superhero movies on my list, although I try to, uh, you know, not have too many. But I think the the most obvious, you know, as far as puzzle pieces go, like the most obvious thing to bring up is the Loki-Thor relationship. Um, you know, Loki being the villain who ends up becoming a hero who is also still kind of bad and kind of goes back and forth. Uh, you know, that's exactly the relationship that they're, they're kind of bringing about with the sequel here with, uh, Orm Ocean Master, Patrick Wilson's character, who is kind of the best part of these movies, I think. Like, he was so funny in the first one, just so over the top. And here he actually, like, gets all of the funniest moments. He's the most fun character. He gets the redemption arc. And, uh, you know, kind of basing the movie around the villain, 
you know, definitely brings to mind Loki. And uh, Aquaman even calls him Loki at one point. Like, so it's like super on the nose that that's where they're going with it. Well, that that's a great segue into into my uh, next puzzle piece. But yeah, I mean, th- this this particular film, I mean, and I'm, I'm not going to hate on it. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I feel like it's pretty much delivering exactly what the first one did. You know what I mean? Um, but I think this one really did have an uphill battle mm-hmm. um, throughout its... Uh, Maybe not so much through its production, but through its release. And I think a lot of that falls, I'm going to say it, sorry, but a lot of that falls on James Gunn's shoulders. Okay, James Gunn. Sure. Basically, not even, not even in so many words, he, he announced that he was going to be retconning the entire um, DC extended universe, uh, cinematic universe that we see. Okay. Um, and he did this when we still had so many films that were... <laughs> <laughs> that were awaiting release. So we still had uh, Black Adam that was going to be coming out. We still had uh, the Blue Beetle. We still had that Shazam, uh, Fury of the Gods. And then we had this uh, this this last Aquaman movie. And so it's just, it's, it's so sad. I mean, David, c- call me crazy. Call me crazy. But don't most businesses at least let their employee finish out the day or at least finish out the week before they get fired. You know what I mean? Like, I I would think that's what most businesses do. But for him to make that announcement when he still had, you know, four big, huge budget uh, uh, movies that (laughs) that were awaiting release... And then he makes that announcement. It makes all of these uh, films, including this one, just seem completely inert and completely useless. You know? Absolutely. It's it's such a bizarre choice. And... uh... I, I think we're going to be, like, studying this, like, you know, as far as, like, looking back at the 2020s and movies, like, how they could have messed this up so poorly. Yeah, yeah, especially when you hear that they they basically, that they shit-canned the, uh, the, the Batgirl movie, and it makes you wonder, like, how, yeah. how bad was it really? And I think, I, I'd like to think, I wonder if Warner is kind of seeing that that might have in the long run been a really bad move because when you announce something like that it it doesn't really put um you in the best most favorable light with your fans and also I mean the villain was going to be played by um the guy who won the academy award for best actor so they could have ridden on that you know what I mean to to kind of give the mm-hmm. film some uh, I'm not saying that you know the world is is a um is a sad place because we didn't have a Batgirl movie. But on the other hand, it's kind of like they could have dumped that on a streamer and they would have been, they would have been fine. You know? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. It's just, it's just, you know, a a perfect like microcosm of everything wrong with, with the business right now. And uh, especially the superhero business, but yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I, you know, as long as we're talking superheroes, I'm going to get my other superhero puzzle piece out of the way here, which is more Marvel. Really? Mm -hmm. It's black Panther and Iron Man. I mean, first of all, we've got so much black Panther here with a, you know, a secret, you know, uh, you know, country that's super, you know, high tech, uh, that doesn't want the rest of the world to know about them. And then ending on exactly the ending of the first Iron Man movie with Aquaman announcing himself to the world and announcing that I am Aquaman, which is, I, I'm not the first person to bring this up, but the most ridiculous thing to end the entire DCEU in the exact same place where the MCU started is just, 
I mean, it goes right back to you bringing up the James Gunn announcement. Like, what are they doing? Exactly, exactly. I mean, look, the the DCEU has had a lot of problems since its inception. And I think a lot of that is because Marvel kind of got to the gate first. And so everything that DC was doing was being looked at as copy and Marvel, um, which I didn't really see that as fair, to be perfectly honest. I was always kind of rooting for uh, for DC to to have the same success as Marvel. But, yeah, you got you, you got to wonder when they're hitting the exact beat and, you know, nodding to <laughs> to the, the, the film that uh, started the entire thing. That was one of my notes as well. So I could just take that right off uh right off my page as well but yeah you're gonna end the movie with the exact same joke yeah that they did in 2008's iron man i mean you said it perfectly you wonder like what are they doing it's so crazy yeah. <laughs> oh man they just have no clue what they're doing that's really what it comes down to but uh yeah so i i know you had iron man uh on your list so i might as well go to another one too uh i'm going with geostorm because uh i i think that this you know definitely fits in as much with superhero movies as it does with disaster movies and i actually really liked that they kind of went with the villain's whole thing here black manta uh, that a side effect of his powers was going to be accelerating global warming. I think that was a kind of a clever, you know, supervillain, uh, you know, inadvertent, you know, disaster movie kind of thing to happen. And uh, so, you know, I just, I, I, there might be a better disaster movie that could be put in this place, but I thought of Geostorm when it comes to uh, the acceleration of, you know, all of the uh, natural disasters and, and global warming and the whole message of what we're doing to the planet. No, it's a, it's a good uh, way of looking at it. Yeah, I didn't even, uh, I didn't even think of that one. I mean, the, my big issue with, again, not just this movie, but all of these, um, not just, well, I guess you could say not just superhero movies, but movies in general nowadays. I mean, this kind of goes back to our Expendables 4 discussion that we had a few months back. But the lack of stakes in any of these movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really almost insulting nowadays, but we we get no stakes. All of these movies are so afraid to kill off a character and provide any kind of real threat to the uh to the proceedings yeah you know what i mean and uh, now i'm not coming on here and i'm not saying that oh yeah characters need to die not necessarily but i mean if you really want to um provide some real um emotional gravity to your film and you really want to pose like a real threat and you really want to have that moment where your hero is terrified okay at, at what is going to happen then yeah you you need some real stakes in this film and i mean and i will say this film is cribbing from a uh, a very popular um, uh, Aquaman storyline that came out, I want to say, in the early, mid-70s or so, called Death of a Prince, okay? And I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting you to be familiar with it or anything, but, I mean, in that particular storyline, Black Manta uh, kidnaps um, Arthur Curry's uh, son. He was a little bit older at that time, so I think in that storyline, um, Arthur Curry, Arthur Jr. was about a toddler, but he was real little. But Black Manta kidnaps the son and um, puts him in like this, uh, in this, in this imprisoned ball that is filled with air, and he basically he he kills uh, uh, hmm. Aquaman's son. And so what that does is that sets Aquaman on the ultimate path of vengeance to uh, to you know, uh, avenge his kid and everything. I mean, that's that's a ballsy move. I mean, let's be honest. That's a ballsy move for not just a movie, but for a comic book to kill off a child. And I wasn't expecting, when I heard that they were going to be bringing back Black Mantha and I saw that he was going to have a son in this one, I knew that they were going to touch upon 
that particular storyline a little bit. But I also knew, okay, they're not going to kill his kid. Okay. Right. <laughs> they're, they're just not going to do that. However, what this film does is they do not kidnap his child until the final third minutes of the movie. I think this film would have had so many more stakes if they would have led with that and had Black Manta kidnap his child early in the movie. Then we could have really had, you know, Aquaman really scared and uh, and trying to get his son back. What this film also does is there's the scene where Black Manta torches Arthur Curry's uh, dad's home, okay? And you think for a very brief minute that he, that his dad, okay, Tamara Morrison's character, dies, but even he survives. They, they yeah. rescue him with some Atlantean technology, and it's like, man, they're not even going to kill off that character. Okay, they're not. They can't even kill off Mara. Wouldn't that have been something kind of cool too? Sorry, I'm kind of going yeah. off. I'm going off on this huge tangent. But I mean, Amber Heard had a ton of issues this year, and there were all these rumors that they were going to write her out of the movie and everything. What if they kidnapped her? What if they killed off that character? You know what I mean? But they don't want to take any chances in any of these movies and provide any kind of stakes. All characters are going to survive at the end. And I'm sorry, but when you're doing that, then your villain just is not intimidating in the least right right no absolutely you're so right about that and that is something we've been seeing in a lot of these superhero movies especially once we start getting into the multiverses and all that stuff because then you can just bring anybody back so you just you always know it doesn't really matter anything that's happening in any of these movies but uh i i love that you brought in that death of a prince uh storyline in here as a puzzle piece because uh yeah i certainly wouldn't have known about that since i never really you know read the comics or anything like that but um one thing, though, about kind of the the messiness, I guess, of of this movie and of, you know, where the Black Manta character goes for a while after the first Aquaman, uh, you know, inexplicably made a billion dollars. Uh, it was announced that they were doing an Aquaman 2 and they were doing a spinoff called The Trench that was supposed to focus mm-hmm. specifically on Black Manta and be more of like a horror spinoff. And I have to imagine part of the reason this movie is so messy is they used bits and pieces of both scripts and just kind of threw them together. And that that's, I mean, all this stuff with Black Manta going underground, or not underground, but like deep underwater and finding this other city and, and there's ghosts and, you know, all this stuff like that has to be from the trench, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, that's the other problem, too, with uh, with <laughs> all these movies nowadays is they make these huge announcements at like 20 different projects and they just throw them all up against the wall seeing which one is going to stick and it's kind of like okay that's cool if you want to do that to kind of wet fans excitement but i think fans now at this point we're on to the fact that okay of all those projects we'll be lucky if maybe two happen sure yeah absolutely so but yeah that was just my huge frustration man is it was like you're not even going to kill off the Tamara morrison character they're going to toy with our emotions and we're going to think, oh, wow, like, okay, Arthur Curry, he, he has it bad now for, for Black Manta because not only did he torch um, his house and steal his kid, but he also left his dad to die. But then mm-hmm. they're going to pull out this last minute, you know, space MacGuffin where we see Tamara Morrison wearing this, uh, this Atlantean, you know, health device. And then at the end of the movie, spoiler, at the end of the movie, he's okay. Nicole Kidman is okay. The baby is fine. Um, Amber Heard is fine. And it's like, man, they don't want to do, they don't want to do anything with, (laughs) with, with providing any kind of, um, any kind of threat to these particular films at all. I mean, if you look at the, the Creed movies, 
Okay, Rocky Four had zero problem killing off Apollo Creed, and all of the movies have have um, been been echoing upon that. You don't mm. see them bringing back the the Creed character. Now, granted, those are steeped in a little bit more realism. I understand, but you know, you know what I mean. But having those Fast and the Furious brought back, having those movies brought back characters that were killed, and having those movies suddenly made villains good guys all of a sudden. I mean, it's like, what are we? What are, again? What are they doing? Yep. Well, you know, and we brought up Fast and the Furious on the first Aquaman, but that that applies here as well. It applies to every superhero movie. I mean, the Fast and Furious movies are basically superhero movies. And so, yeah, they just bring everybody back. There's no stakes. Like, it's just, it's what what will look cool in the moment, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm going to go with King Kong and the Skull Island. Um, they, We have, like, a little... Uh, fetch quest-esque uh you know situation here where uh aquaman and and orm have to go to this island uh, this like volcano island and uh everything there is big all of the bugs are big there's a dead rat that the bugs are eating that's really big giant butterflies giant this giant that totally you know a skull island kind of thing a fun sequence although incredibly rushed through like the whole thing they're, they're in and out of this entire island in maybe like 10 minutes of the entire two-hour movie i thought of the uh pitch meetings you know how are they gonna get out of this one super easy barely an inconvenience um but it, it was fun while it was going on and like a clear inspiration from the whole skull island thing and uh it made made for some you know they probably uh spent a few bucks on those effects because uh, the bugs were good and creepy looking i think well, that's a good segue for for my next puzzle piece because I thought it was very interesting that for the sequel they decided to make it a buddy movie. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes. Especially, okay, it's kind of a bold move too, especially to make it a buddy movie with the villain in the last movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and and again, going back to what I said about the lack of stakes, it's kind of like, okay, well, suddenly in this new movie. You're going to have him teaming up with the big bad guy in the last movie. Well, suddenly that makes the last movie seem almost um, almost useless in, in some in some kind of ways. <laughs> when suddenly the hero is is teaming up with the uh, with with who was ostensibly the villain in the last movie. And, it, and, and it's clear what they're doing here. OK, that kind of leads me to my puzzle piece is it just kind of reminded me of it's going with a, a buddy cop dynamic like what we saw in 48 hours. Okay, mm-hmm. or or pretty much any of those any of those buddy movies. What's really interesting, though, again, a, a different, uh, uh, an interesting creative choice, I guess you can say, is if you look at all of those buddy movies, whether it's Forty Eight Hours, whether it's Midnight Run, you name it. But you always have the straight laced guy, and then you always kind of have the wacky sidekick. Okay. Yes. And I mean, with with Midnight Run, you had um, the wacky sidekick was Charles Grodin, but he was also the criminal. And then uh, with 48 Hours, you know, the wacky sidekick was Eddie Murphy, who, again, is also a criminal. And that's that's basically what they're doing here is they're teaming up with the criminal or the villain. They're having Aquaman team up with the villain from the last movie, only it kind of flips it a bit to where Orm. okay, that's the Patrick Wilson character. He's the straight laced one. And Aquaman is so much more goofy in this movie than he was in the last movie and so it's like wow our main character okay in this team up is going to be the goofy one and i don't want to go as far as saying that he was inept but it seemed like he was cracking so many more jokes and i didn't think a lot of them really landed like they did in the first one and 
I don't know that that's that's basically what what the what the whole team up dynamic reminded me of here. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I thought the same thing that it's so interesting that they made the main character the goofy one. Like he mm-hmm. he's like kind of the comic sidekick, and uh, it's a really. I mean, James Wan is a really interesting filmmaker. I mean, you know, I love *Malignant*. I'm still wearing my *Malignant* shirt, actually. But uh, I, I, I love uh, I love James Wan, and and he he has so much fun with these like genre tropes and stuff like that, and just really kind of trying to mess with them. And uh, yeah, I think that that's such a knowing thing. Like, I think that he really wanted to do that with the relationship between these two guys. And uh, I, I think that's great. It's one of my favorite things about the movie. So I, I'm sure some people saw that and were like, that's stupid. How can you make your main character goofy? But like, I, I thought that was a really good thing about this and one of my favorite parts of it. I will go with an obvious one I'll throw in here, and that is the Pirates of the Caribbean series. I would especially go with the last one, Dead Men Tell No Tales, where at that point, you know, it's throw as much CGI at the screen as you possibly can. There's just so much stuff happening in every single sequence. And uh, I, you know, I think that one involved going under the sea with ghosts and, you know, like a hidden king and all this kind of stuff too and mind control and i think a lot of those same kind of uh, themes were being explored there i know most people did not like that one uh but i i thought javier bardem was fun in it and it's you know these these two series they kind of go hand in hand with everything going on on the water and all the like ghost pirates and shit like that yeah, I mean, and this is a point of contrition here. I'll, I'll just admit, I have not seen any of those pirate movies. How many have they made now? Is it four or five? Is it I five I think now? that was the fifth one, I want to okay. say, but who could keep track, honestly? Yeah, I'm, well, again, you want to talk about market saturation. But yeah, I, I have only seen the up to the third one, and to be honest... I don't remember anything about those movies. <laughs> yeah. So. The first one really holds up. I just watched it like a couple of years ago. It is really fun. But yeah, the sequels, no one needs to rewatch those. Well, you meant, you mentioned something really interesting real quick, if I may. I mean, this isn't one of my puzzle pieces, one of my notes. But I mean, you mentioned James Wan. And I completely agree with you. I think James Wan is a, uh, is a fantastic director. Um, and, and you watch this film and you can see that he's really been hampered by studio notes from warner brothers okay because and again i'm not saying if you go with that death of a prince storyline okay that this film is kind of cribbing from obviously i realize that this is not going to go uh super dark okay but if you look at the dc cinematic universe okay when they did that first um when they did that man of steel movie and that batman versus superman movie i know that those movies get a ton of uh criticism and heat from fans but if you look at them i mean (laughs) There's no denying, David, and I think you'd agree with this, those films all look and feel different than the average superhero movie because they're a little bit dark. You know what I mean? They're they're a little bit dark. And if you look at James Wan, I mean, he did a movie that's really become forgotten that I think is fantastic called Death Sentence. Did you ever see Death Sentence? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin Bacon? Yeah. Yep. I mean, that movie is awesome. So, I mean, this is a director who, I mean, he, he can go dark a little bit. And so, and again, it's it's a tricky thing, okay? Obviously, you take a property like Aquaman. It's, I'm not expecting them to, you know, kill a child and, and go, you know, <laughs> super duper dark. But he could have done something that was not um, hampered by the restrictions set forth by Warner Brothers and uh, 
and DC. And my, which kind of leads to the next puzzle piece that, that I had my last one actually, but it, it's very clear that, that there were um, companies bigger than James Wan that were whispering in here in his ear, telling him, you need to do this. You need to hit this beat. You know what I mean? And so it doesn't feel as much like a, like a James Wan movie. You know what I mean? Sure. But I mean, that, that's, that, that's a good segue. Cause I mean, that, that leads me to my, my last puzzle piece, um, which is uh 19. Oh, I'm trying to do the math on this one real quick. Yeah. 1997's uh, Batman and Robin. I'm sure, I'm sure you're familiar with this one. You've seen it. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and the only reason I bring that up is because Joel Schumacher went on record for that one, apologizing for that one. But if you look at that movie, um, the characters in the, in that particular film, they suddenly switch costumes in the final act, and they're suddenly driving these vehicles in the final act that really, in the grand scheme of things, don't make a heck of a lot of sense. And Joel Schumacher went on record, the reason for this is because Warner Brothers was pressuring him, and they were saying, we need to sell toys. Okay, we need to sell toys, yeah. and so... Um, you need to uh, include this costume here at this part in the movie because we have a, a the toy line is going to come out. We're going to be doing that. And I mean, you see that again, going along with what I said with James Wan um, having pressure from the studio. You look at that. And why does Jason Momoa put on a new costume in the second act of the movie when it really doesn't make any sense? OK, I remember one of the. <laughs> You know, when this film was in production, they released the photo of uh, of Jason Momoa in that sleek black bodysuit saying this was his new costume. OK. And in the context of the movie, it's to provide him camouflage or whatever when he's going in and trying to break uh, Patrick Wilson out of uh, out of the prison that he was in. But, you know, that the only reason that that was included was so that they could sell a a new toy for Aquaman. Sure. You know what I mean? And it doesn't in the end, in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It's not needed. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely not needed. But uh, they got they got to sell those toys. I, I think it's funny that when the first Aquaman came out, I'm pretty sure Batman and Robin was brought up as a puzzle piece for the reason of, like the goofier side of what superhero movies could be like the, the just real, just out there, silly Saturday morning cartoons, like all that kind of stuff. And now all these years later, we're bringing up Batman and Robin for the studio intervention. And like, you know, the real cynical, like, you know, the studios giving you a leash, but not too long of a leash. Uh, because you know, when it comes all down to it, like it's still the business and they've got to, uh, they've got to sell their toys. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting that, you know, for, you know, like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, obviously they were like, yeah, we'll stay, we'll, we'll keep our hands off this Christopher Nolan. You know what you're doing and we'll leave you be. Okay. You know, but for these ones they're they have their, uh, their fingers in in the in the pot on this one so much that where like i said it doesn't feel as much like a james wan movie he feels so much more like a gun for hire in this yeah. one than uh than even he was for the first one to an extent yeah yeah no for sure yeah well i i'll do uh one more piece i, I got a a couple other things but i i think the the one that i want to use though will be the green knight david lowry's the green knight uh which Back when that came out in 2021, I talked about how much it felt like a 
like a more beautiful cinematic version of what a video game movie is. And I feel like it's certain aspects of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom are reaching for that, pulled back by certain things that we've been talking about here, uh, but certainly using the video game trajectory of a story, you know, you got to go talk to the king, you got to find the guy who knows where the secret sword is and the secret this and that, and like, where are we going to find the villain? Oh, he's up at the the volcano level, like, you know, we, we got to get into there. And like, it, it's all of that kind of video game style storytelling, um, fetch quests, you know, the whole thing, uh, but put into, you know, a big giant adventure movie. And I think the Green Knight did it like really well. I think this movie, you know, does it to its own kind of restricted universe studio, you know, hampered degree and they can't really do everything that they wanted to do, and maybe there's bits and pieces of different scripts happening, but it's, I think, going for that kind of thing. It's very much a video game movie without it being based on a video game. Well, I mean, that's... <laughs> David, it's interesting how, how our notes are, are paralleling and lining one another, but that, that leads me to one of, one of my other pieces is the fact... Um, I mean, this kind of reminded me to an extent of, uh, I mean, the, the film has become so dated nowadays, but they did that Final Fantasy Spirits Within movie that oh, came yeah. out about 20 some odd years ago or whatever. I mean, and that was one of the first real, what was it called? Uh, photorealistic movies. Okay. Like the CG out. animation. Yeah, yeah. And it does get to a certain point. I mean, look, they are doing things with CGI nowadays that were, that we couldn't even really dream of you know, 20 years ago. I mean, but it's it's interesting with this film. Like I said earlier, it's very clear. I don't think they really had to build a single set for this movie. About 85 to 90% of it is all filmed in front of a green screen. And so mm -hmm. it does beg the question at a certain point, like, why do we even have actors at a certain point? I mean, they, they could have, I mean, <laughs> I hate to say it, but they could have made this movie 100% CGI animated. And I think it probably still would have played just fine. You know what right. I mean? But you, you get to a certain point where, like, when you see Aquaman flipping and swimming around and everything like that, I mean, or when he's on the seahorse and everything, it looks really cool, but you know that's also not Jason Momoa. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, like at a certain point, like, why don't we just make this a, a full-on CGI animated movie at this point? And I almost kind of wonder if that's the point that we're, that we're going to be getting to. I mean, Rob, Robert Zemeckis has made those... Um, those CGI animated movies. He did a Christmas Carol. He did Polar Express. Um, yeah. I think he did the Beowulf one. You know what I mean? And so, right. and when those came out, they looked a little odd, but things have gotten better since then. I, yeah. I do wonder at a certain point, if we may see more things more along that nature than, you know, than I mean, wh why even need actors at a certain point, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, also we could throw Avatar in the list too. I mean, it was a puzzle piece yeah. when we did the first Aquaman. Um, but, you know, it, it, speaking of making things photorealistic with, with computer generated imagery and, uh, you know, it definitely fits here as well. Also something that we haven't mentioned, uh, Orichalcum, which is, you know, essentially unobtainium. So oh, yes. uh, you can definitely uh, include Avatar on the list there. Yeah. I do have to br bring it back slightly, though. I mean, I, I, I'd like to ask you real quick, what did you think of um, of Dolph Lundgren's inclusion in this film? I, I personally, I loved him in the first one, but when I heard that they were going to be minimizing Amber Heard's role in this film, it kind of made me wonder, like, oh, man, I like... 
Because if there's not Amber Heard, he plays her father. Like, does that mean less scenes of him? But I was actually pleasantly surprised he was in this film more than I thought he would. Even though most of his scenes are him standing there at the council tables pretty much saying, well, Aquaman, if you do this, this may happen. I advise against that. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Well, I, you know, I think he made the most of his time in this. And also, you know, like I said, I do think Patrick Wilson is the star of this movie. He's so great. And him and Dolph Lundgren have a rapport in this, you know, where they, you know, he doesn't trust him and everything. And so that makes for a couple of good joke moments. There's the moment where uh, Dolph Lundgren doesn't want to give him a weapon, you know, stuff like that. And so he definitely gets a few moments. But as we've kind of talked about, as much as we did like this movie, you know, the script is kind of just patchwork. Uh, and so I think a lot of what he might have done in a better version of the movie uh, is kind of on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, good point. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for indulging me and in, in talking about it. Yeah. But I mean, I thought, like I said, I, you said it perfectly. I think he does the best with what he's been given. I can only imagine, I mean, you can tell Dolph looks very uncomfortable in that giant suit that he's wearing. Okay, <laughs> especially in that scene where they're on land, because when he's underwater, you see it. And I'm thinking like, okay, maybe they might have CGI'd a lot of that suit on him. But then there's the scene where they're on land. I mean, and th that suit looks like it has to weigh like 50 pounds or something. Like I can only imagine how uncomfortable all of them are in these like um these massive gladiator outfits that they're wearing. <laughs> Yeah, it can't be fun filming this stuff, but yeah. uh, I mean, it looks like Jason Momoa is having fun, but everybody else can't be that fun. But uh, I'll run down the list of puzzle pieces here, and then we'll get into some closing thoughts. Uh, you know, we, we, of course, talked about all superhero movies with a glowy thing to collect, as well as Loki, James Gunn's whole announcement of the DC, EU, Black Panther and Iron Man, Geostorm. Uh, you brought up Aquaman, Death of a Prince, which was really interesting to uh, hear about. Uh, then we also got some Fast and Furious in there, Skull Island and King Kong, 48 Hours, Midnight Run, various other buddy comedies, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man Tell No Tales, Batman and Robin, The Green Knight, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, and Avatar. You know, I, I think there's a lot of overlap with the first movie here as far as puzzle pieces are concerned, but, you know, it's it's kind of more of the same. And I again, that's that's what I wanted out of this movie because I didn't want them to go more serious because it's the end of the DCEU. I also didn't want it to get too stupid, you know what I mean? Because it is mm -hmm. a very ridiculous uh, series, these two Aquaman movies. But um, I, I think the fact that we got more of the same is a good thing and honestly exactly what I was hoping for. Well stated. Well stated. I mean, yeah, I know, I know earlier I said like, and again, I want to stress, it's not like I wanted them to take this a little bit too dark. You know what I mean? But um, at the same hand, uh, right. on the same side, it, it did get a little, a little too silly. And again, I mean, if you're going to make the main hero more of a joke, then I don't know that that's kind of a difficult um, mountain to climb, I, I think, especially for an audience. You know what I mean? Like, why would we want to follow this character if he is so um, if he is so silly and buffoonish? But, um, you know, I think Jason Momoa was was fantastic in the role as much. And again, I mean, I, I will say it. The first Aquaman did so much for the DCEU. It's, it's really kind of interesting that the character who was always a bit of a joke in the lineup of Justice League characters was the character that became the uh, 
the the triumph for that entire uh yeah for that entire universe unfortunately again this film was really hampered a very strange place uh to to leave this universe but hey that's yeah what happened that's all there is to it but uh yeah i think that does it for aquaman and the lost city sean is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners <laughs> this is going to sound really uh, cheesy, but I did give a rewatch a couple nights ago to Double Team, the the classic nice. uh, the classic uh, film with uh, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman. Interestingly, in the final act of Double Team, the the big bad guy who's played by Mickey Rourke um, kidnaps uh, Van Damme's baby, forcing Van Damme to uh, to team up with uh, with Dennis Rodman to to go and get him similar to this particular film so maybe we could say hey that sounds like a puzzle piece yeah maybe we could do that as well but um i will say about double team as stupid as it is kind of like this movie every time i watch it i i have a ton of fun with it because it is just so colorful and goofy and i I can't help but smile every time i watch that that ridiculous movie so amazing amazing yeah i might have to revisit that i haven't seen it since it came out but uh tell people where they can find you and your podcast yeah, thanks again, man. Um, this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so my name is Sean. Obviously, uh, the podcast is I Must Break This Podcast, which takes a, uh, a look at the extensive filmography of Mr. Dolph Lundgren. We are currently caught up with all of his cinematic efforts. He does have one that is wait- awaiting release that comes out next month called Wanted Man, which he also wrote and directed. So getting very, very excited for that one. So, uh, so stay nice. tuned. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's very exciting. That's really cool. But uh, yeah, thank you again so much for uh, for joining me on the show, and I look forward to getting you back again sometime. All right, take care, man. I'm Josh Bell, and I'm Jason Harrison. We co-host a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. Each season, we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. We deep dive into these specific years, and we pick out why they were such great years for films. We go over the biggest hits, the biggest flops, the best pictures, some personal picks, some cult classics. Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984. And we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Aquaman and Lost Kingdom. Thanks to Sean Malloy for joining me on that one, and thank you to all of you for listening. If you're enjoying Piecing It Together, make sure you're subscribed wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. You can, of course, find us on Apple Podcasts, Good Pod, Spotify, wherever you're listening right now, hit the subscribe button, and maybe even drop us a little five-star rating and review. That would be very helpful. Make sure more and more people come check out the show so we could do more and bigger things as we enter this new year. So, again, thank you so much for being out there. You can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And I already told you about the Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash Rosen with lots of great content. Check it out. So, uh, you know, right now it's a new year, and I am in the middle of something I've been calling 24 for 2024. It's a crazy ambitious initiative to release 24 singles this year. And I have a new song hitting all the streaming services on the first and third Friday of every month for the whole year. And uh, it's, it's an amazing amount of new music. If you have a playlist that you'd like to add some of this stuff to, I 
would really appreciate that. Um, but you could also check out my website by davidrosen.com to keep updated on it. And also I'll be posting on social all the time about it. Right now I'm going to play a preview of one of the songs that's part of this 24 for 2024 thing. Uh, this is a song that'll be out in a couple of months, uh, I think in April. I, I forget exactly where I have it scheduled, but this is one called Strange New World. Seemed like a good uh, fit for something like diving deep down into this hidden city under the water with ghosts and all this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, this is a song called Strange New World. It's part of 24 for 2024. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.